Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. It is week 11 of our sermon series through the book of Joshua that we are calling Living for a Legacy. This entire study through Joshua has been meant to encourage you, inspire you, motivate you, build your faith so that way you can live a life that makes a difference, so that way you can leave a legacy. How many of you have just loved this series through the book of Joshua so far? Hasn't it been so incredible? Hasn't it been absolutely motivating and inspiring? I just love studying through entire books of the Bible, and I've had so much fun going through the book of Joshua. And my hope and my heart and my prayer for us as a church is that we would believe that we serve a big God who loves to do big things. Amen? How many of you would love to see God do big things in your life, in your family, in your home, in your marriage, and in your church? How many of you would love to see our big God do big things in your life? If you have your Bibles, turn me to Joshua chapter 10, and that's actually the sermon title for today, is Believing God for Big Things. Over the past 10 weeks or so, we have seen our God do big things in the life of people here in the church. I just love hearing testimonies and stories about what God is doing in people's lives. We we have a man who at the end of the summer, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. He had a seizure, he fell out, and they didn't know what was happening, so they rushed him to the emergency room and they diagnosed him with brain cancer. And over the last 10 weeks, he has been fighting and battling with cancer. And he just sent a message this week that he just finished all of the rounds of radiation, getting ready to go to chemo. And the doctors have given him a good report for his life. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Those are big things. When we started this series back in Joshua, I got a, I got a message from a couple in the church that, that they were on the brink of divorce, totally separated. They came to church to give God God, one more shot. And today they are married and their marriage is healthier and better than it has ever been. Whenever we did the teaching over tithing just a few weeks ago, there was a person who the, their boss told them that due to budget cuts, they were not going to be able to get their end of the year bonus this year. But he stepped out in faith, believing that he served a big God. He started tithing for the first time, got called into the office this week, and he got his end of the year bonus. These are big things that our, our God is doing when we step out in faith and we, we believe in a big God. Guess what we see? We see our big God. God do big things in people's lives. But God's also been doing some big things here for us as a church. As a church, I just want to encourage you that God is doing some really big things here at Redemption. Just yesterday, we were able to give away six thousand pounds of turkey to our community and family. Over 500 turkeys given away at our Turkey Day giveaway. When we started it, we only gave away 100, but this year we gave away 500 because God wants to do big things. Last month, we saw the largest next steps in the history of our church. Last week, we had 15 new volunteers serving on our team. Our church coming out of COVID-19, we have more than doubled in size post COVID life. Last year around this time, we're running about 150. Over the last three weeks, been pushing 300 because our God is doing big things here in the life of our church. So far this year at Redemption, we have baptized 60 people as a church, 60 stories of life change, 60 lives that will never be the same. But on December 5th, we got another baptism Sunday coming up. And I believe that our big God is going to do big things and we're going to see more baptisms happen. This year, everything is up and to the left. Our giving is up. Our salvations are up. Our attendance is up. We're raising up more missionaries. We're sending out more church planners. We're training up more leaders because we believe in a big God who has big things in store for us as a church. How many of you believe we serve a big God? 
And here's why I start off this message with that inspiration. Here's the reason why. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is that your expectations set the atmosphere of the miraculous. I've heard it said before, whether you believe God will or you believe God won't, either way you're right. Your expectations, they, they set the atmosphere because when you believe in a big God, then you will see your big God do big things in your life. Just think about it. How many times have you ever gone to a sporting event or maybe to a concert and you know that it's just going to be amazing before you ever walk in the door? What happens? Your expectation, it sets the atmosphere for what you're about to experience. I remember when I was like in eighth grade, I went to see uh, game five of the division series with the Houston Astros versus the Atlanta Braves. And, and Randy Johnson was pitching for the Houston Astros. And as, as a little kid, I walked into that stadium and I could just feel the energy. I could just feel the electricity, the buzz that was in the room. And here I am, 36 years old, and I still vividly remember that experience. Why? Because my expectations going in, it set the atmosphere for what I was going to experience as well. And this is the same thing that we're going to see today when it comes to the book of Joshua is that so far in our study of Joshua, he has seen God do big things. It started off in week one, whenever God comes and speaks to Joshua and he says, you're the leader now. I have big plans for you. Moses is dead. You are now in charge, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to be strong and courageous. Nine times in the first chapter, God says, be strong and courageous. Why would God tell him to be strong and courageous? Because God had big plans for his life. In order for him to see those big plans, he had to expect God to do big things, to be strong and to be courageous. And now we see chapter one play out throughout all of the book of Joshua. Chapter two, he sends spies in to the city of Jericho. They check out the land. They come back and they say, they have heard about us and their hearts are melting with fear of us because they have seen God do big things in their past. Therefore, they're believing in God for big things in their future. Joshua chapter three, he steps his foot in in the raging river Jordan, and he sees it part because God told him that I'm gonna do some big things, and he expected big things, therefore he saw big things that God was going to do. We've seen it over and over. They take Jericho with a shout of praise. Woo, hallelujah. They march around the walls, the walls fall down. Why? Because God had told them that it was gonna happen, and they believed that it would happen. We see the battle of Ai, we see the battle of Jericho, we see over and and over for 10 chapters, Joshua's faith has been building up. His expectations have been building up because he has seen his God do big things in the past. Therefore, he is believing that God is going to do big things in your future. The same thing that is true for Joshua is the same thing that is true for us. That when we believe in a big God, we will see our big God do big things. How many of you want to see God do big things in your life? So here's what I'm going to do today. I am going to ask you four questions that will help you raise your expectations. Four questions to raise your expectations. If you have your Bible, we're in Joshua chapter 10, and we're going to start off in verse 1. The first question is this. How big are your battles? That's, a, that's the first question is we have to know how big our battles are. Now, I wish I could tell you in order to see God do big things, you will never have to go through big battles. But that's just not the case. That's just not the reality. The reality is this, is that the first step to a miracle is a problem. You will never experience a miracle if you always run away from your problems. The, the first step to seeing God do breakthrough is for you to have to come face to face with some, some battles. If you want to see a miracle, you're going to have to be a little uncomfortable. The first thing you have to recognize and realize is how big your battles truly are. Look at what we see here in Joshua chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says in verse 1, And as soon as Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted to destruction, doing to Ai and its king, 
as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel who were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, because it was greater than Ai and all of the men and the warriors. So Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, the king of Eglon. Praise the Lord. Everybody give me a round of applause for saying those names. <laughs> saying, come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, they all gathered their forces, went up with their armies, encamped against Gibeon, made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people with him and all the mighty men of valor. Doesn't it seem like every time we meet Joshua, he's in a crisis? I mean, poor guy, right? He can't catch a break. I mean, chapter one, Moses, my servant is dead. I mean, his best friend, his leader for 40 years who guided him through the wilderness, his pastor and prophet, all of a sudden he, he, he's dead. That's where we first meet Joshua. I mean, that's a, a crisis moment. Have you ever had somebody that you love die? That, that's, that's a crisis. When we first meet him, he's in crisis. And then he now inherits the leadership over all the land. That in itself is a, is a crisis. Joshua chapter 2. Now Jericho, a great fortified city, is before them. That's a crisis. The River Jordan raging at flood level. He has to lead 2 million people across a river a mile wide. How does he do it? That is a crisis moment for him. And we see it over and over from Jericho to the battle of Ai to the deceptions of the Gibeonites. I mean, poor guy. It's just one step forward, two steps back. He can't get a break. He's always finding himself not only in a crisis, but he's also finding himself always in the middle of a battle. How many of you feel that way? You feel like life is that way. That's the way that I feel because here's what I know. I know that if you're not in the battle right now, you either just came for one or you're about to be in one because that's just the way that life works. I mean, life is just filled with battles, but the Bible is honest with that. Some people, they come to Christian faith and they say, man, my life is hard. Things are difficult. So I'm going to give my life to Jesus and everything's going to get better. And then here's what they discover is it, it doesn't always get better. In fact, sometimes it just gets a little bit more worse. Right, because you're, you're experiencing new battles that maybe before you never even thought was a battle. But now because these new desires in your heart to love and to serve and to follow God, all of a sudden those become battles that you face as well. That's just the way life works because that's what life is like this side of Genesis chapter 3 is that every single one of us, we are going to find ourselves in a battle. I mean, this is exactly what the book of James says. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials or battles of various kinds. I love the way that James says that. It says there are various types of trials because they come in a variety pack. You ever notice that, right? It's never just one thing and you're like, praise the Lord, I got that one under control. And then all of a sudden it's, a, it's another thing. You're like, this is different than the thing that I just went through. It's something, it's a variety pack of battles. It's a variety pack of trials. There's a variety pack of, uh, 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 of battles and trials and struggle that you're gonna go through. I mean, here's the way life works. Like consider first your marriage. Your marriage is strained and struggling. So you invest time in your marriage. You finally get that under control. And then all of a sudden your kids start driving you crazy. So then you have to go and take care of the kids and then all of a sudden bills start piling up and then you start working on getting your budget under control and then all of a sudden, oh, now it's a work problem. There's drama in the workplace. I didn't get the promotion this year. Oh, now I just got fired. So now I'm back into this struggle over here, which now has implications on my marriage, which also now has implications on my kids. And as soon as I get that under control, now a kid breaks his leg and another one needs braces and the in-laws have become outlaws and Christmas is coming up and all these things just start piling up on top of me. Is that how life works? Yeah, because, because we're always going to find ourselves in a, a battle. And it's never just one battle at a time. I mean, that's what Joshua's experienced thus far in this book. He's only ever fought one battle at a time. 
It started with Jericho, and then he moved to Ai. But today he's not fighting one nation at a time. How many nations? Five. It is a battle royale. That's what he's facing right now. Because that's how life works sometimes. It's never just one and done. Sometimes it's five battles that you might find yourself in at exactly the same time. See, God told him in, J- J- in Joshua chapter 1, he says, he says, there are seven nations greater than yourself, but I will give you this land. See, in this moment, Joshua, what he has to do and remind himself when his problems are very big, he has to go back and he has to remind himself of the promise that God has given him. If you go back to Joshua chapter 1, by the way, this is one of my favorite ways and reasons that here at Redemption we preach straight through books of the Bible. Because if you want to understand the text, you need to understand it in the context. And if I was just to preach a one-off sermon through Joshua chapter 10, you wouldn't really understand what is happening, nor would you appreciate what God actually does for him. You have to go all the way back to Joshua 1 to understand why Joshua has so much strength and courage in chapter 10. Here's what Joshua 1 says. says. It says this. It says, I will give you every place. God speaks to him 10 chapters beforehand. What is that? That's a promise. God speaks to him, I will give you every place where you set your foot. So before he ever goes to Gibeon, he has a promise that that land already belongs to him. As soon as, as, as promised to Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, and all those kings, I couldn't pronounce their name, to the Mediterranean Sea, to the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that have sworn their ancestors to give them. So when Joshua finds himself in the middle of a very big problem, here's what he does. He moves forward with confidence because he reminds himself of God's promises. This is what you and me need to do when we find ourselves in a very big problem. We need to remind ourselves of God's promises. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you find yourself in a problem, here's what you do. You remind yourself of God's promises. God, I know this battle is big, but you said there will be breakthrough. God, I know I feel like I'm up against the wall, but you said that I will never go through it alone, that you will be with me, that you will not forsake me, that you will not abandon me. God, you have not appointed me to disappointment. You have not called me to be a failure. You have not forgotten me in this life. I am not abandoned. I am not forsaken. God, I I trust your word. I'm holding on to your word. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I do know who is going to get me through this. I am going to rest on your promises. When you find yourself in a problem, here's what you do. You remind yourself of God's promises for your life. You know, the Bible is filled with promises that God gives us. And I want to just encourage you because right now I just know this, is that there are people here today, you find yourself in a battle, that you're struggling, you're, you're, you're straining, you're trying just to be able to make it through. And you feel not strong and courageous, you feel weak and discouraged. But here's what I want to do. I want to give you some promises that God's word speaks over your life. So I'm going to give you five promises for troubled times. And I want you to write these five promises down. And here's what I do in my life, is I actually have affirmations that I tell myself. I look in the mirror in the morning, and I quote scripture over my life. Whenever I find myself in troubled times, I look in the mirror and I speak God's word over my life. And I declare God's promises over my life. And so here's, let me give you five promises and you can write these down. You can take them home and you can put it on your mirror. And so whenever you find yourself in troubled times or battles, you look in the mirror and you declare these over yourself. The first promise is this, is that God is always with me. The last words Jesus ever said in the Great Commission, I am with you how long? Until you go through trouble and then I'm out? That's not what he says. I am with you until things get really good and you don't need me. That's not what he says. I am with you as long as it's easy. That's not what he says. Here's what he says. I am with you always. How long? Until the end of the age. If you're not dead, God's still with you. 
Declare these of yourself, that God is always with me. Number two, God is always good. He wants better for me than I want for myself. That God's plans are good for my life. That God wants good for me. And God does good. Settle in your heart that God is good. Look at yourself and declare God's goodness over your life. Number three, God is always sovereign. That nothing catches God off guard. He's never up in heaven going, oh my me. I didn't see that one coming. Jesus, weren't you on that? Ghost, weren't you on that? Anybody? Anybody see that? No, no, no. Nothing catches God off guard. He is sovereign. Number four, God is always faithful. He doesn't know how to fail. He never has. He never will. He loves you. He loves you. He's for you. He's for you. He, he, he wants good. He's faithful. And then number five, God is victorious. There is never a battle that God has lost. He has never lost, never will lost. He never will lose. God is victorious. Redemption, we know how the story ends. The story ends with our Jesus coming back on a horse with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes with tattooed down the side of his leg that says, King of kings, Lord of lords, with a robe drenched in blood. And he's going to come back on that day as our victorious warrior, dragon-slaying king who cuts the throat off a serpent, throws him into the lake of the fire, and his kids will rule and reign with him forever. He is victorious. He has been victorious, and he will be victorious as well. Speak these promises over your life. When you find yourself in a problem, here's what you do. You remind yourself of God's promises. So what does is, what is Joshua do when he's in this big battle? Here's what it says Joshua does. Joshua doesn't run from his problems. He doesn't avoid his problems. He doesn't pretend that his problems don't exist. Here's what he does. Verse 7, so Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. He confronted his problems because he had confidence in God's promises. If you're struggling today and you're in a battle, I want you to have heart to know that you can confront your problems with confidence in God's promise for your life. The second thing is this. The second thing we see is how big is your God? How big are your problems? Number two, you got to ask this question. How big is your God? Because here's what happens is that so many people, they focus on the problems. They look at the problems. And here's what we recognize in my life, your life, and in everybody's life, is when you make your problems big, you make your God small. Now, it's not that God's going to get small because God can't be small, but your perspective of God begins to diminish over time the more you focus on the problems that you face. And so instead of telling God how big your battles are, tell your battles how big your God is. How big is your God? Here's what we see. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear, for I have given them into your hands. What is that? That's chapter 1, 3. That's the promise. I have given them in your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. It's the same thing. God's speaking the same thing over and over again to Joshua. God's saying the same thing over and over again to you and saying it over again to us. Do not fear. Not a man shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal, having, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them away by the ascent of Beth Horam and struck them as Azak and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they're going down the ascent of Beth Horam, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Adazak and they died. Come on, the Bible ain't boring, is it? Like in the middle of it, God's like, fire from heaven, fireballs, hailstones, drop it down, kill them all. All right. <laughs> and the more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Now, let me ask you this question. How big is your God? I, I just want to ask that. How big is your God? I don't know about you, but if I'm going to believe for big things, then I have to believe in a big God. How big is your God? See, some people, they have very small gods. In fact, they're not gods at all. They're idols. And they focus on, on their idols, things that they think are going to deliver them and rescue them, but have no power to be able to do so. 
See, some people, they look for rescuing from other people, from places, from addictions, from, from relationships, and, and they never rescue them, they never deliver them, and they never save them. That's why people go from relationship to relationship, never satisfied, because they're looking for someone or something to save them. But those gods do not save. They are idols that cannot deliver or rescue or redeem you in your life. If you're trusting in anything or anyone other than the God of the Bible, you will always be defeated and you will continually be disappointed because you have a little God. But if you trust in the God of the Bible and you take him at his word, then here's what happens. Your God is so big. How big is your God? Let me just take a moment to just remind you how big our God is. Our God is so big, words don't even describe him. Our God is so big that, that reality doesn't even truly understand it because our God is so big, he exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet at the same time, one God. That's how big our God is. Your little brain can't even comprehend how big our God is. And our God is so big, he exists outside of the universe and time. That, that time, he created time, therefore he is not confined by time. And through this, he, in, he created the heavens and the earth, which means he is bigger than the heavens. The Andromeda galaxy, he is bigger than the galaxies. The sun and the moon, he is bigger than those. Jupiter, bigger. He is bigger than planets. He is bigger than galaxies. He is bigger than the universe. He is bigger than the farthest reaches that the Hubble telescope could ever go. He is bigger than all of those things. Our God is so big that he made everything, Colossians says, by him, to him, for him, through him, all things are held together and sustained surely by his word. Our God is so big that in him we move and we have our being. Our God is so big when he created the world, he spoke it into existence. That's how big our God is. He didn't even lift a finger to create this world. Our God is so big that the, from the heights of the Mount Everest to the depths of the Marianas Trench, he is in both places at the same time. That's how big our God is. Our God is so big that he invented trees. He invented plants and animals. He just thought up the platypus and it was there. That's crazy. Have you ever seen a platypus? That's wild. And yet our God, he made that thing. That's how big our God is. Our God is so big that he took dirt and clay and he molded it into mankind. And then he breathed breath into his nostrils and the soul came alive. Our God is so big that he reached into the rib. He pulled out the rib and he made a helpmate suited for him and he brought them together. Our God is so big. He invented marriage in Genesis chapter one. Bone of my bone, flesh of my left flesh. If you're struggling in your marriage right now, God made marriage. He's bigger than the problems you face. Whatever you're going through, your God is bigger than the battles that you're up against. You say, but pastor, th this life is so hard. Why is this life so hard? Genesis chapter 3, sin enters into the world. Devastation is broken and all creation falls and people are sinful by nature and choice. And because of that, death comes into the world. People die, people fight, people war. There's greed, there's injustice, there's violence, there's hatred, there's bitterness. And so what does our God do with all the problems? Here's what he does. He sends his only son, Jesus. Our God is so big that he humbles himself to become small like us. That's how big our God is. Our God is so big, he's not afraid to humble himself and become small. And so he comes in the form of a man. And he lives the perfect life, the life we never could live. He dies the painful death, the death in our place for our sins. Why? Because he was, this he, whole life, he was so big that he loved the unlovable. He was so big that he forgave the unforgivable. He was so big that he touched the lepers and they were healed and he did not get sick. This is how big our God is. Our God is so big that he resurrects the dead. Our God is so big, he calms the storm. Our God is so big that he heals the sick. Our God is so big that he casts out demons. And this whole life, this is all Jesus does, is that he comes, he loves, he serves, he gives, and he humbles himself to the point of death. Yes. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that though he was exalted, he humbled himself. 
And he laid aside the divine prerogatives that he had so that he could become like us in every single way, taking on the form of a servant so that way he would go to the cross and he would suffer and die in our place. But our God is so big, death cannot stop him. Our God is so big that after three days, he resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan and sin and hell and death and the grave. Our God is so big, he reversed the curse of Genesis chapter three, and he gives new life to those who trust and believe in him. But that's not all. Our God is so big, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, where he says, I have gone to make a place for you and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Our God is so big, he doesn't leave us alone. He sends the Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us, to inspire us to live a life that matters. Our God is so big, he creates the church. In over 2,000 years, the church is still here. Kings and kings have come and gone, and nations and empires have risen and fallen, but the church of Jesus Christ remains. How is that possible? Because we serve a big God. Can I just tell you how big God is? And this is why God says, do not fear. Look what he says. He says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear. Why would God have to tell Joshua, do not fear? Because in this moment, he was afraid. And I want for you to understand something. Is that God knows that you struggle with fear. So what I don't want you to hear is this. I don't want you to hear that your problems aren't big and your problems don't matter. Because they do. The last thing I want for you to take away from this message is this. Get over it. That's not what I want you to hear. Because that's not what God says. Over and over again, 365 times in the Bible, God comes and he says, do not fear. Why? Because he knows that we struggle with fear. I was thinking about it this week. My, my, my daughter, Esther, she'll be five tomorrow. And right now we are, what me and Ashley would say is a season of fear. She is so afraid of everything. And it breaks my heart as a dad. She's afraid of the dark. She's afraid to be alone. She's scared to go to school. And last night or the other night, she was sleeping and she woke up and she was just crying in like a panic attack because she was so afraid because she was alone in the room and it was dark. And she cried out. She said, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, oh, my God, what do I got to do now? And so I, I get up and I, and I run to my daughter's room and I, I say, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, I'm scared. And so what do I do in that moment? Do I, say, do I say, you don't need to be afraid of the dark. You're five. Grow up. Do I say, there's no such thing as monsters. There's no such thing as ghosts. Do I say, I'm not looking under your bed because nothing's there. Stop. Do I say that? No, here's what I do. I get down on my... I look at her, I say, baby, I love you. You don't have to be afraid because you're safe. And I asked her, I said, I said why, why do you call for me? And she said, because you're the strongest person I know. <laughs> she's five. And she's wrong. <laughs> But to her, but to her, I am. I am the closest thing she understands of what God is. As parents, you, you understand this, right? Because as parents, our kids think we're superheroes. As parents, our kids think we hung the moon and the stars. As parents, we are ghost hunters. We are monster killers. But it's because our kids, they understand who we are. And you're a child of God. And you need to understand who your father is. And here, here's what I want you to know, is if it matters to you, it matters to God. The problems that you're in, if it matters to you, it, it matters to God. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. And when we, like Esther, cry out to him, when we, like Joshua, call for him, here's what our God does. He comes running to our rescue. He comes running to love us and to care for us and to provide for us and to make a way for us because it matters to him. The reason why our God can rescue and redeem versus false gods is because unlike the false gods of the world, our God actually cares. 
our God actually is real. And our God can actually intervene on our behalf. How big is your God? Number three, how big is your faith? How big is your faith? Because if you're going to believe God for big things, then, well, you need to ask this question. How big is your faith? Here's what happens next. And the Lord said, look at verse 8, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man among them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly after marching all night from Gilgal. So what was this big demonstration of Joshua's faith. I mean, what did he do to demonstrate his his faith? I mean, he's got a big battle. He serves a big God. So how big is his faith? What does Joshua do? Look at it again. It says he marched all night. You say, well, that doesn't sound very big. That doesn't sound like a dramatic display of faith. I mean, at least we saw Rahab throw a, a red cord down. At least Rahab hid the spies. At least whenever we saw Jericho, they marched around it six times. And on the seventh day, seven times blew the trumpet. I mean, that looks like a bigger demonstration of faith than what we see here. I mean, all he's doing is marching. That's not very impressive. But here's what I I, want to show you. Is in this moment, Joshua was doing the only thing he knew that he could do. And that's what faith looks like. Faith looks like you just doing what God has said for you to do. You may not understand it. It may not look very big. It may not look very bold. But I want you to understand something is that we don't have faith in faith. So you might be trying to say, I got to get more faith. I need to have more faith. You you don't have faith in faith. Here's what you do. You have faith in God. Faith in faith will not save you because that's nothing more than faith in yourself. But faith in God is what saves us. You don't need a lot of faith. Here's what you need. You just got to need to use the faith that you have. You don't need a lot of faith to see God move. You don't need a lot of faith to see a miracle. You don't need a lot of faith to see breakthrough. You don't need a lot of faith to see deliverance. You don't need a lot of faith to see these things. Here's what you do need. You just gotta use the faith that you already have. This is what Jesus even says to us. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Jesus also says it like this. He says that you only need faith the size of a mustard seed and you will see the mountain be cast into the sea. You don't need to have faith the size of a mountain to cast a mustard seed into the sea. You need to have the faith of a mustard seed to cast the mountain in the sea. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes you using the faith that you got. This is why my favorite Bible verse is, is Mark 4, 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. The one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. What does that mean? That means that if you use your faith, then God is going to reward that faith. Just the measure that you use. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes you using what you got. Just use the little faith that you have, and God is going to bless and honor and reward that faith. And over time, your faith is going to continue to grow. But if you don't use the faith that you have, what happens? It slowly begins to diminish over time. Because with the measure you use will be measured unto you. The one who has, more will be given. Joshua chapter 1 through 10, what is he doing? He's just using the faith that he has. Joshua 1, he's using the faith. Joshua 2, he's using the faith he's got. And over 10 chapters, here's what we see. We see his faith begin to increase. We see his faith begin to grow. We see his faith begin to build. And as over time, we get to see God do great things in his life. Right now, maybe you're here today and you're struggling with your faith. I get it. I understand. Maybe there's something you're believing for that you just don't know how, if you have the faith to articulate it. I get it. I understand. But here's what you just need to do. You just need to currently use the faith that you already have. So what does that look like? For Joshua, it meant marching all night. For you, it might mean getting out of bed. You made it here today. Thank you. I know it might have been really hard, but I believe God's going to reward that faith because you got out of bed this morning. Just use the faith you have. What does it mean to use the faith you got? It, It might mean that you go to work when you don't feel like it. It might mean saying I'm sorry to somebody who maybe you didn't do anything wrong to. It might mean reconciling a relationship over the holidays with a brother or sister that, that, that there's 
family drama going on. What does that, what does it look like? Sometimes faith looks like little things, but if you do enough little things, eventually over time, God's going to do a big thing in your life. You just got to use the faith that you already have. You don't have to work yourself up. You don't have to do a little jig and a dance for God. No, all you got to do is maybe sometimes just march and just keep moving forward. That's all he could do. He's like, God, you said it. I'm trusting you. And so I'm going to just keep moving forward in life. And when you do that, that's when you begin to see God move in your life. You don't need to have a big faith. You just need to have a little faith in a big God. And watch how God is going to grow and work in you and through you over time. So how big is his battles? How big is his God? How big is his faith? And number four is this, how big are your prayers? How big are the prayers that you're praying? Here's how the story concludes in in, in verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord. At the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, he said in the sight of all of Israel, five nations battling it out. He's in a battle. He's got a big problem. And so what does he do? In an act of faith, he calls out to his big God, and here's his prayer. Sun stands still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aljon. And the sun stood still, and the, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance over their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of the heavens and did not hurry for about a whole day. And there has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. And so Joshua returned with all of Israel with him to camp at Gilgal. Here's what Joshua does. He's in the middle of a battle. He's got some big problems. It's five against one. He has been marching all night. He has been fighting all day. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's at the end of his rope. He sees the men that are struggling. And in that moment of desperation, here's what, here's what Joshua does. He prays a big prayer. And here's what his prayer is. God, give me peace today. But that's not the prayer he prays. In battle, as he stopped and he said, God, give me, give me wisdom. It's not what he prays. Does he, does he stop and he say, God, make me strong and courageous? It's not what he says. In that battle, does he, does he, does he stop and whisper to himself? What are you doing? It's an unspoken prayer request. Don't worry about it. (laughs) That's not what he does. That's not what he does. He didn't need peace. Because God had already promised him peace. He didn't need wisdom. Because God had already given him wisdom. He didn't need strength. And he didn't need courage. Do you know why? Because God had already told him, be strong and courageous. He didn't make an unspoken prayer request. It says he prayed before all of Israel. This was an out loud declaration before everybody. And do you know what he prayed for? Sun, stand still. Moon, stop. And God answered that prayer. The people around him must have thought he was crazy. Joshua, you should pray for peace. We don't need peace right now. You should have prayed for wisdom. God's already given me. Trust me as your leader. God's given me the wisdom. Here's what I need right now. I need the sun to stand still. I need the moon to stop. And he believed in a big God, so he wasn't afraid to pray big prayers. Some of you, you're in a season right now. You're praying for the wrong thing. You're praying, God, give me peace. What God wants you to say is tell me what you need. You're praying for wisdom. And Jesus said, I've already given you wisdom when I gave you the spirit. Pray for what you need. What do you need? We tell this to our prayer team as people come forward for prayer. And on the prayer line, here's here's what I tell them. And I teach this to our staff, to our team, to our prayer team, first Wednesday nights. Here's what I teach you is this. Vague prayers get vague answers, but specific prayers get specific answers. 
Sometimes you got to pray specific prayers. Pray specifically. Tell God what you need. Articulate it. Speak it out. Let it come forth from you. Say what you want. Say what you need and mean what you say. Because specific prayers get specific answers. So people come forward for the prayer line. And they'll be going through maybe a family struggle. Maybe their children are running away from home or maybe they're addicted to drugs. Maybe you're going through an addiction and you want to see that breakthrough. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Whatever it is, you come forward and people are so afraid to say what they truly desire for God to do in their life. And so they pray for peace or they pray for wisdom or they pray for strength. Listen, that's great. That's good. There's times for that. But when you're in a battle, you don't... You don't need to pray for just peace. When you're in battle, you need to have the faith, the bold declaration of prayer to say, hey, I'm going through a divorce. I want my husband to come home. You got to have the faith to say, I am sick. I want to be healed. You got to be able to have the faith to articulate, my daughter is afraid of everything. And I know my God didn't give my little girl a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. You got to have the faith to say what you need, specific prayers. What's your prayer? What's your son stand still prayer? Because when you pray big prayers, here's what happens. Your big God hears. And it says this, it says, There's, this is the day the Lord took heed of the requests of man. If you want to see God do a big thing in your life, pray big prayers to your big God and watch him move. So here's what I want to do as I close. I want to, as the leader, I feel like Joshua, in Joshua 1, he sets the example for his congregation, so I want to set the example for ours. In Joshua 1, God says, be strong and courageous. By the end of the chapter, here's what we see, is that the people in the congregation, they say, Joshua, we will follow you, so be strong and courageous. And so here's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to close, and I'm going to, I'm going to model and give you an example of what big prayers look like. Because I, I want you to know that even though you have big battles, you have a big God, and he hears your prayers. So I, I want to model what, what big prayer looks like, and I'm going to ask that you're going to enter into agreement with me. At the beginning of the sermon, I, I shared with you the big things that God is doing in, in people's lives, but I also believe that God wants to do big things, not just in the past or the present, but I believe that there's big things in store for us for our future. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to model big prayers. And if I touch on any of the topics that is near and dear to your heart, I just want you to hold your hand up in agreement with me in prayer. And you can declare it and you can pray it out loud over yourself today. And so we're just as a church going to close by just praying some sun standstill types of prayers over the people in this church and the future of our congregation. So Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, God. And God, I know that there are people who are in a battle I know that there might be five nations greater than them that are fighting against them, but there is no one who is greater than you. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And we serve a God who listens, who cares, who hears and responds to prayer. And I don't know what battles someone might be up against, but I'm gonna pray over them today. God, if there is a battle that people are facing in the room right now when it comes to their marriage, God, I just pray over that marriage right now. I pray for restoration in that marriage. I pray for understanding in that marriage. I pray for greater communication between the husband and the wife in that marriage. I pray for a mutual respect within that marriage. I pray for humility and honor within that marriage. God, over that marriage, I pray the same way you resurrect dead things back to life. You'll take what was dead in that marriage and you'll resurrect it back to a new life with you because we serve a God who makes all things new. And so I pray over that marriage right now. If you're in marriage, just hold your hand up. I boldly 
boldly declare that we serve a God of restoration. I boldly declare we serve a God of, uh, of more and of new. I pray over the marriages today, God. If there's a person in the room right now who is sick, who has a diagnosis, an illness, whether physical or mental, God, I pray over them right now. By the name and the blood of Jesus, we just ask that your power would move through their body, bringing healing from the top of their head to the bottom of their toes. By your stripes, they are healed. And so, God, we pray over healing. You made the body. You can heal the body. You made the mind. You can heal the mind. And, God, we just pray that your spirit would begin to move through them and bring healing into their lives. God, if there are children who have run away from home, who have turned their backs on the Lord for parents and grandparents who are raising prodigal sons and daughters, I sick the Holy Ghost after them. God, let the hounds of heaven chase them down right now. I pray that there would be a Holy Spirit moment that he would speak into their hearts today and he would tell them, your mama raised you better than that. Come back to church. I pray over them right now that they would find themselves in a situation like the prodigal son in the pit with the pigs and they would say, I could go back to my father's house and it would be better than this. And so I declare over the lost sons and daughters, they will come home and find a church that they can plug in and be involved in. God, I pray for the 500 people who came to Turkey Day giveaway yesterday. I know that you know their name. I don't know their name, but you know their name. And so wherever they're at, that you would bless them. Wherever they're at, that you would be with them. Wherever they're at, God, that you would just shower your love and your grace and that they would know there's a church in downtown Beaumont that loves them. God, if there's people here struggling in financial situations, God, I ask for a change of heart with their boss that their boss would turn their heart to them the same way you turn the heart of, of the king in, uh, in the book of Nehemiah towards the heart of Israel, that you would turn that king's heart towards the heart of your children, that there would be promotions and bonuses and raises. God, I pray for financial situations that as people are struggling in their finances, they will experience breakthrough and you would honor the tithe in their life, that you would honor the giving in their life. God, that you would instill budgeting principles and Holy Spirit accounting in their minds as well to act on the obedience that you've already given them in your word. God, whatever it is that people are going through, I just pray that you would move in their life and do big things. God, I pray over the future of our church. God, I pray that as Baptism Sunday comes up, we're not just baptizing six people. I believe we're gonna get 20 people in that tank on Baptism Sunday. God, when it comes to heart for the house, every year you've brought increase into our church. The first year was 25, the second year was 50. I believe we serve in a God of increase. So God, I'm praying for 100,000 December 5th for our heart for the house. When it comes to this new building, God, I'm believing we'll have a, a Christmas Eve a preview service this time next year. Year, we'll have the entire church in that sanctuary worshiping and celebrating our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, I believe that every seat will be filled on that day with somebody whose name and somebody that they personally invited into this church. God, I believe it because I believe in a God who does big things. Do you believe in a God who does big things? We serve a God who does big things. So here's how I want to close. I know I told you that was my closing, but this is my real closing. I know sometimes we struggle with this. I get it. I understand because I struggle with it too. Believing a big God for big things. But you know, like, this is the story of the church. It's believing a big God for big things. And in the 1700s, there was a missionary a great Baptist preacher and missionary, his name was William Carey. And here's what he, he wrote, and I wanna leave it with you is this, is if you expect great things from God, you will attempt great things for God. Because it's your expectation that sets the atmosphere for what God wants to do in your life. 